0: passage again this morning is taken from the gospel according to Luke. uh, We'll be continuing our study of the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer and uh, really just just looking at uh, verses, uh, focusing on verses 3 and 4, but continuing to consider the the whole um, of the prayer. So let's read Luke chapter 11 verses 1 to 4. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. This is the word of our Lord. May he write its eternal, its eternal truth on our hearts this morning. Please be seated. Let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord, for this moment in eternity. Lord, for we consider that you are the eternal, holy, holy, holy God. And we praise you, Lord, that through the death of God the Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we can call you Father. And so, Father, we pray that you would hear our prayers. We pray, Lord, that this prayer and all of our prayers and all of our lives would be for the hallowing of your name, that we would exalt you as holy in our prayers and in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts through the power of your spirit this morning. Lord, to impress these truths upon our hearts that we might by your grace and for your glory, hallow your name. Likewise, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be motivated by the advance of your kingdom. Your kingdom over our hearts as individuals, your kingdom over our hearts in this local church, your your kingdom advanced in every church where Christ is indeed king, and we pray that your kingdom would advance across the whole globe. Through conversion. We pray, Lord, that you would even be pleased through the proclamation of this word today, that you would be pleased to save souls. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come through the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For, Lord, we pray earnestly, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we see what is going on around us in this this world, and we we see that this world is upside down. Because sin has infected this world, and has infected the hearts of all human beings. So people who think they are doing good are doing evil. Even people who think they're serving God, but they are serving themselves and the kingdom of darkness. So, Lord Jesus, we want to see you come back. We want to see your name praised for who you are. We want to see your rule extend. We know that this will be the case in the new heavens and the new earth. For which we are anxiously longing. Father, we pray as we commit these particular needs, the needs of our life for our provision, for forgiveness and our protection. Lord, Lord, we pray that you would help us as we pray for these things for ourselves, for our church family, and for for all of those for whom we care, Lord, that this would be again about the hallowing of your name and the advance of your kingdom. Help us, Lord, when we, we pray, Lord, not to pray selfish prayers. but to pray God exalting. Even going to you in prayers is an admission of our dependence on you. Help us, Lord, to pray to be reminded that we are dependent on you for everything. Lord, help us to grow in intimacy with you through that, that consciousness of our need. And help us to run to you eagerly. child runs to a heavenly, to, a, to an earthly father. Lord, may, may that be reflected in that much more as we run to you, our heavenly father. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who purchased our redemption for us. Amen. We are living in Troubled times, and as, as many people even in the world recognize, they, they talk about 2020 as being such a, a horrible year. It seems like every time you turn around, there's bo- there's more bad news. And the fact that I'm preaching this sermon here with just a, a few people present, while the vast majority of our church family is, is out there listening from home highlights this fact that we're living in troubled times. There is a lot going on around us. Some people are concerned about COVID-19. Other people are concerned about the government, government response to COVID-19. Some people are concerned about Black Lives Matters. Other people are concerned about the Black Lives Matters movement. Many people that I know are concerned about black lives and they're concerned about the Black Lives Matters movement. Some people are concerned about, about Canadian politics, American politics, Chinese politics or geopolitics. Add to that environmental issues, family issues, general health issues, not to mention sin issues. That's a whole lot of concern. If you talk to the average person, you'll find that people's anxiety levels have them stretched to the breaking point. I was talking to a man yesterday who has had who knows three people who committed suicide in the last few months. There is a lot that a lot of people are concerned about. However, really want to praise God for this. However, as I have heard the responses of so many of you to what is going on out there in the world, what is going on even in our own backyard, I'm hearing a pattern of a lack of concern. Now, don't get me wrong. As I've talked with many of you, it's not that you aren't aware of what's going on. It's not that you don't care. I'm hearing about how you are entrusting yourselves and the issues that you care about to God's care. Time and again, I've heard how you've been committing yourselves, your families, in local and global circumstances to God and His sovereign care. And I've had several conversations, even this past week, of of people who have been been anxious and concerned about these things, but but have have turned, and their their hearts are now at peace. And even as things look worse today than they did a week ago, in many respects. So what's going on here? How how is it that, that a people can... Trust God under these current circumstances or, or under any current circumstances. It's when you know that God is loving and wise and sovereign. You know that God is loving and wise and sovereign. God is loving infinitely loving. He demonstrated his love for for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know that God is wise. God is omniscient, declaring the end from the beginning, working out all things according to the counsel of his will. You know that God is sovereign, that he is in control of all things and is working them all out for his glory and for the good of his people. And so you have a confidence that that no matter what is going on out there, you can have peace in here. No matter what is happening in the world around you. How different is that from the Martha attitude that we spoke about from Luke chapter 10 verses 38 to 42 a few weeks ago? Again, you know that God is loving and wise and sovereign. But you don't just know this intellectually. You know this experientially, or as the Puritan said, experimentally. You know who God is from His Word and from personal experience. You know who God is because He has spoken to you in His Word. And you know who God is because you have spoken to Him in prayer. Brothers and sisters, people who, who know these truths and are preaching these truths to themselves are a people of prayer. People who care go to God in prayer. They know who God is and they know who they are before him. And so when I see this happening in people's hearts, I see God answer, answering prayer. I'm seeing God answering the prayers of your elders for you, and I'm seeing seeing God answering your prayers as you are praying these things as well. And as a pastor, as your pastor and as as your brother in Christ, this encourages my heart. It, It gives me hope. In the fact, I was just saying to Gene yesterday, God really, actually answers prayer. And it makes me want to pray that much more. I'm sure the same is true for you. You know that God is your Father in heaven. You know that he bids you to come as adopted sons and daughters. And so you go to him in prayer. And you know what you need. And you know that, the, that God is the only one who is the only source for everything that you need. So you go to him in prayer. As we saw last week, prayer is a major focus in Luke's gospel account. There's quite a bit of, of material in, in Luke's gospel account that, that is not even in the other gospels. A very strong focus on prayer. And prayer is the focus of this section. In fact, all the way down to to verse 13, that the focus is on prayer, praying to God as your heavenly Father and, and what that entails. So after hearing Jesus pray, an unnamed disciple went to Jesus, asking him to teach them how to pray. And Jesus responded with this prayer that we see in in verses 2 to 4. This prayer serves as a a model, as a pattern, as a framework for prayer. In this passage, Jesus is is providing you with a a skeleton to help you flesh out your prayers. And this prayer, as I mentioned last week, also serves as an introduction to the practice of praying through Scripture. Scripture of turning other passages into prayer. I mentioned that the Psalms, for example, are, are an excellent inspiration for exaltation and, and praise and supplication and confession for Thanksgiving as you you, you turn the, the statements that are made in the Psalms, many of, of which are actually prayers, as you, you turn the, these Psalms into, into prayer. And really, you could do this with, with anything in the Bible. Apart maybe from the, the quotes of in many of the quotes in, in Job that are half truths, but 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 when you you can turn the Bible into prayer, and so God speaks to you in His Word, and you speak His Word back to Him in prayer. As I also explained last week, we have the privilege of prayer primarily because God wants intimacy with us for His glory and for the advance of His kingdom. And this intimacy costs nothing less than the death of His Son, Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross. Our Father wants intimacy with you, so He wants you to pray. And not just to pray daily, not just or to pray daily, and not just once a day, but but throughout the day. He, he wants you to pray, s- s- not selfishly, but for his glory and for the advance of his kingdom. And so again, these, these first two petitions of the prayer, hallowed be your name and your kingdom come, inform and direct the rest of the prayer. So as we go into our needs in the second half of the prayer, each of these three petitions that we're going to look at is ultimately for the hallowing of God's name and for the advance of his kingdom. As as Joshua read for us in the call to worship, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, everything you need, will be added to you. So God's name and the advance of his kingdom is the person in prayer and the priority of prayer. So then that takes us to the provision through prayer. So in prayer, we go to God again, conscious of our needs and conscious of the fact that that only God can provide for those needs. So then the final three petitions of the prayer, the model prayer, are our bread, our forgiveness, and our protection. And, And I'm taking what was really three sermons and compressing them into one. If you'd like to hear more on this, again, I would, would point you to the, the website where I did the exposition of, the, of Matthew's iteration of the Lord's Prayer. Each of these was one sermon. These, these are three areas. Our bread, our forgiveness, and our protection really encompass the sum of human existence. Everything you need is right here. It shows us our complete and utter dependence on the Lord for everything. And notice the pronouns here. It's not my bread and my forgiveness and my protection, but our bread and our forgiveness and our protection. These are are corporate prayers. So in this, we, we pray, yes, we pray for ourselves, but also for our families and for our church family and for our brothers and sisters around the world. So first of all then, our bread. Our bread. Jesus teaches us here to pray, give us this day our daily bread. When I was a child, we would sit down to a meal and we would pray God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. I pray that probably just about every day as a child, but I never really thought about God as great or God as good or as the one who provided the food. My dad worked, my mom bought the groceries and prepared dinner. What did God have to do with it? Didn't really, even I was praying this, it didn't really enter into my mind. Does that sound familiar? Maybe when you pray before a meal, maybe you don't pray exactly that, that prayer that, that I prayed, but, but when you sit down to pray before a meal, are you really praying? It's just something rope that you do before you you tuck into dinner. Do you actually give any thought to the greatness and the goodness of God by providing the food that you are about to enjoy? Do you give any thought to the fact that that everything you need, everything you need, is provided for you by God? We so easily slip into self-reliance. And as I think about this, in light of God's providence, it's really good. I think God designed it this way. I think God designed you this way, that you need daily food as a conscious reminder of your dependence on God. So eating food, eating eating good-tasting food, even eating bad-tasting food, really, ultimately ought to be an act of worship. Giving thanks to God for his goodness to you in providing the meal. But the focus here is not just on bread. This prayer for our daily bread is representative. It represents every physical need. Not just food, but also finances and clothing and shelter and so on. Even oxygen. It represents all of your material needs. It represents everything that is necessary for our lives in this world. Again, not just these things, not just food and shelter and clothing and health and government and peace, but we could, we could also include praying for, for a spouse. That was my prayer for many years. Pray for children on that list. And so even companionship and even friendship fall under this petition. So this petition is an expression of our helplessness. Of our humble dependence on God. We are entrusting ourselves to God's providential care. We're acknowledging that every good thing that we receive comes from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. James 1, 17. And so this, is, it's also, this petition is also an opportunity to give thanks to God for, for what he has given you. And again, not just your food, but but every good gift that you have received. So when it, when it comes to these things, when it comes to our provision, it, it's not that we don't work. It's not that, that you can just sit there in a corner and, and pray and, and trust that, that God do with Elijah, that he's going to send ravens with, with bread and meat to feed you. Of course, we, we must work. But we recognize that even our ability to work comes from God even your ability to work comes from God. And again, you might think you're the one who earned the money to buy the food, but, but who gave you the cognitive ability to do your job? Who gave you the physical coordination? Who gave you the body? Who gave you the very breath in your lungs? Who has kept you healthy so that you can go to work? You are dependent, utterly and completely dependent. And God allows you to feel need so you will let go of your self-reliance. God's priority for you is that you will seek to hallow his name and advance his kingdom. And so feeling your need helps to sanctify you. As you you grow in living today and not not fretting about tomorrow or about about what's taken place before, you're living in conscious day-by-day dependence on God. And that makes you grow in Christ-likeness as God does his work in your hearts. And one of the means of grace that this, whereby this takes place is prayer. And we have a lot of children in church, and sadly they're not physically here with us today. We have a lot of children, especially very young children and babies. They can't feed themselves. They can't clothe themselves. They can't change their own diapers, though that would be nice. They can't do anything for themselves. A child is dependent on his or her parents, utterly dependent on his or her parents until the age of two. And even then, they only think that they're independent. What would happen if if you were to take that infant or a toddler and leave them in just about any environment without someone to look after them? What do you think would happen to you if God ceased to look after you for even a nanosecond? Again, this is true, but how rarely we're conscious of it. With our complete and utter dependence on God all the time. And like we teach, like you teach your children to say thank you when a parent or or someone gives them something, how much more should you say thank you to God? for all that he has given you. So again, this petition provides an opportunity to thank God for his gifts and to praise him for his providence. So think about, about loving parents and their care for their children. Again, we'll see the, the contrast of how much greater God the Father is than, than any earthly father next week, Lord willing. Far more than even loving parents care for their children, your heavenly Father Cares for you. Again, that's exactly what Jesus is going to teach in verses 5 to 13. So, are you feeling a need? Are you feeling pinched in a particular area? Maybe things are tight financially, and, you, and you're aware that your, your pantry shelves are getting a little bare. Definitely pray but please tell someone in the church so that we can help you, so that we can be the answer to your prayers. Perhaps it's something else. Perhaps you're fearful of of getting sick. Maybe you're especially fearful of of COVID-19. You need to realize that your health does not depend on you staying home. Your health does not depend ultimately on this or or ultimately on you wearing a mask. But your health is dependent utterly on God. Now, I'm not suggesting that you put yourself in danger, especially if you have a, a pre existing condition, but go to God in prayer. Your health depends on God, He is sovereign over every virus and over the transmission of every virus. Nothing is too big, nothing is too small to escape God's providential governance of his creation. But whether it's food or or finances or health, whatever it is, is that thing your priority? Is that your highest priority? Are you consumed with anxiety over these things? Is that your greatest concern? I'll tell you right now. That thing that you were so anxious about is not God's highest priority for you. It isn't God's greatest concern for you. God's greatest concern for you is you. God wants you. He's already proven that by sending his son to die for your sins. What more does God have to do to demonstrate His love for you? Now He wants you to walk in intimate relationship with Him. And so again, by consciously experiencing your need, you go to Him. You consciously go to God. And so God wants to draw you close, not just for provision, but to Him. And you can see this clearly from how often in this section we're reminded that the giver is our Father. And you will see that even more next week, Lord willing. And so, understanding your need causes you to reach out to God, to pray to Him for, to pray to Him daily for what you realize you cannot pray yourself. Get provide for yourself. This is one of the more, most important reasons that God calls us to pray. Martin Lloyd Jones describes this as central to what prayer is. He says, this brings us to the heart of the meaning of prayer. We do not tell God these things because he's not aware of them. No, we must think of prayer more as a relationship between father and child. The value of prayer is that it keeps us in touch and contact with God. God wants you, and as your father, he wants you to speak to him daily. Again, God wants relationship with you. What would your relationship with your spouse look like? If you barely spoke to each other, if you almost never talked to each other, what would your relationship look like? Well, you would still be married, but you would not be enjoying one of the sweetest blessings of marriage, relational intimacy. God wants to enjoy Fellowship with you and he, intimacy with you, and he wants to enjoy, he wants you to enjoy intimacy with him. God wants to enjoy intimacy with you, and he wants you to enjoy intimacy with him. God wants you to seek first, not the gift, but the giver. God wants you to seek him. And I pray that this overwhelms you. That the God of the universe wants intimacy with you that the self-sufficient triune god who dwelt in eternal and perfect love between father and son and holy spirit calls you his child and calls you as his child into his presence god has welcomed you into that intra-trinitarian relationship between father and son and the holy spirit By going to Him, praying for your daily bread, for all of your material needs, you are entering into and enjoying the intimacy of that relationship. Well, now let's consider what was required in order for us to have that relationship with God. Let's think about what what that relationship costs. To look at our forgiveness. Sin hinders horizontal relationships. Sin hinders our relationships with one another. Well, how much more does sin hinder a vertical relationship? A relationship with the Holy God. We know that we were born not just with our relationship with God hindered, We were born with our relationship with God shattered. We were shattered because of original sin, because of the sin of Adam in the garden. And so you and I were born radically depraved. Not as depraved as we could be, but depraved in every sense of who we are. We were sinful, born sinful to the core of our being. As David says in Psalm 51, his Psalm of Repentance, verse 5 Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This is not a, a criticism of David's mother. David is saying that he was a sinner from the moment of conception. We also were sinners from the moment of conception we showed it the way that we live our lives and it becomes more and more apparent and became more and more apparent as we grew up that even that cute little baby i swear to say is a cute little sinner the sinful choices that we made as we got older were different from person to person but whether it was immorality or alcohol and drug abuse or gluttony or rebellion to authority or selfishness, or self-righteousness, or pride, or whatever. These are all things that are referred to as sinful acts. The sinful acts reveal a sinful heart. The life of the unbeliever is all sin. It is without faith that it is impossible to please God. Now yes, you and I might have done some good things prior to coming to faith, but even all of our righteous Deeds were as filthy rags before the Holy God, Isaiah 64, 6. And if your your so-called good deeds were filthy rags, what about your sins? What about your active rebellion? What about your 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 intentional sins? But if we could have somehow even stopped sinning, which is impossible, we would still have the problem of our guilt before the holy God. Because God is holy and just, God must deal with sin. God must punish sin or else he ceases to be holy. He ceases to be just. But by God's grace and mercy, he devised a rescue mission. An intra-Trinitarian plan whereby the Son would come and live in perfect obedience to God's law. And then give up his life as a sacrifice. bearing the sins the elect, his, his bride on the cross. Your forgiveness and mine cut not, cost nothing less than the death of the God-man, Jesus Christ. And God showed him he was satisfied with Christ's sacrifice by raising him from the dead on the third day. And the Holy Spirit causes you to be born again, giving you a new heart, granting you repentance and faith, and applies the work of Christ to you. And this intra-trinitarian rescue mission is the only way to receive forgiveness of God. Have you experienced God's forgiveness? Are you born again? Are you saved? Then you can sing with Horatio Spafford, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Brothers and sisters, you and I are forgiven. But the reality is, you and I continue to sin. Now, many people, even in the visible church, do not understand the sinfulness of sin. They do not understand how high the standard of God's moral law is. God's moral law is a reflection of God. God is the standard of God's moral law. And as you've discussed so often, the, the great commandment is that you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is like it you must love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 27, 37 to 39. And that sums up the, the two tables of the Ten Commandments. I've been a Christian for 28 years. And I've never done that. Never. I've never loved God perfectly. I've never loved my neighbor perfectly. Even in my best moments, I haven't done that. And neither have you. So you and I need to go to God for daily forgiveness. A. W. Pink tells us that we owe God sincere and perfect worship together with earnest and perpetual obedience. A failure to discharge our debt of worship and obedience has entailed guilt, bringing us into the debt, to the, bring us into debt to divine justice. So anything less than perfect worship and perfect obedience, perfect love, is sin, and it, it occurs in moral debt against God. Although those who come to Christ are still sinners. Still sinners in in thought and word and deed. Sinners in word and thought and deed daily, hourly, minutely, secondly. So we're we're aware of our of our present sin. Well, what are some ways not to deal with present sin? Ignore, excuse, blame. Wallow in guilt. Wallow in self-pity. Give up. The only right way to deal with present sin is to ask for forgiveness. So that with this petition, we come to God asking God for forgiveness for our sins. We're asking God, as as Matthew quotes Jesus, saying, saying to cancel our debt, to release us from the consequence of our sin. But again, not just... Our sin alone, with this petition, we intercede for those around us. So that God will forgive them too. So brothers and sisters, when you sin, you are still saved. But unconfessed sin hinders relationship. And so you need to go to God for forgiveness. Go to God with, with this petition. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So think again about marriage. God has joined you, husband and wife, together in marriage covenant. However, if you don't go to each other for forgiveness, your relationship will be strained. Your, your intimacy will be blocked. And though you, you still might be married, you're missing the benefit of intimacy in marriage, of, of having a relationship with your spouse It is really meant to be a picture of the gospel. When you ask for forgiveness, within marriage there's a, there's a restoration of relationship, a restoration of intimacy. And likewise, when you go to God for forgiveness, there's a, a restoration of your experience of intimacy with God. So as Philip Ryken says, this means asking God to take the forgiveness that he's already granted through Christ's death on the cross and to apply it freshly and directly to our sins. And notice the conjunction that's here at the beginning of verse 4. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. What is what, being said here is that, that you need to go to God for your daily bread, and you need to go to God for your daily forgiveness. It might be helpful to think of, of this going to God for daily forgiveness as a, the difference between, as opposed to when you first come to Christ, as the difference between judicial forgiveness and parental forgiveness. When you come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, you are forgiven judicially. Before God the judge, all of your sins, past and present and future, are are completely forgiven. They're put under the blood of Christ. You're washed clean and, and you're credited with the righteousness of Christ. And so, however, you continue to go to God for parental forgiveness. So, Through the gospel, God is, though he is is still the judge, his verdict is innocent. In fact, his verdict is perfect because it's the righteousness of Christ that is credited to your account. But now as father, you go to God humbly asking him to forgive you. And so the the issue here is is not salvation. It's, it's, It's not a recovery of your your soul, but a recovery of intimacy, and in this you, you it restores the enjoyment of your salvation. Again, from Psalm fifty-one, David's Psalm of repentance, verse twelve, David prays, "Restore unto me the joy of my salvation." He, he's, he doesn't pray, when he committed. This is when he, This is when Nathan the prophet came to him after he committed adultery and murder, and, and this had gone for close to a year before Nathan came to him, saying to him, you are the man, you are guilty before God. It's a horrific sin. But when David prays in, in Psalm 51, he's, he's not praying, save me again. He's already saved. See, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Help me to celebrate this forgiveness that I have in you. So we're crying out to God to forgive us so that we will experience the present cleansing and present forgiveness so that we're free to enjoy God's presence. This petition also helps you to helps keep, you from, keep you from sinning. 1 John one nine, the apostle writes, If we confess our, our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we confess to God and God is faithful to forgive and God is faithful to cleanse. And then two verses later in 1 John 2, 1, John says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So, so this reminder that we must continually go to God, confessing our sin to him and asking forgiveness from him, helps to prevent future sin. But even when you do commit future sin, Jesus Christ is your advocate. He is going to the Father on your behalf. What a glorious gospel. And when you pray like this, don't you see how God's name is hallowed and God's kingdom is advanced? Because you're you're praying not not just these words, but you're praying God's heart back to God in these things. This petition also includes the phrase, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now on the face of it, it looks as though our being forgiven is contingent on our forgiving others. So is Jesus teaching here that if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven? Yes and no. Let's deal with the no first. Forgiveness is by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone you can do nothing to earn god's forgiveness or to lose god's forgiveness otherwise salvation is not a grace however if you do not forgive you will not be forgiven because if you do not forgive you are not forgiven I'm saying is this, that those who have truly experienced God's forgiveness will forgive others. Those who have truly experienced God's forgiveness will be eager to forgive others because they forgive others out of the riches of the forgiveness that they have received. But if you were saying that you will not forgive someone for a a minor offense compared to your offenses and the multitude of your offenses against God, you're saying that you don't really know forgiveness from God. Forgiven people are forgiving people. But unforgiving people are not forgiven people. Those who ask God for forgiveness must and will be ready to forgive others as well. Now there might be a struggle in that. It might be hard for you. But as you preach these truths to yourselves, as you preach the gospel to yourself, as you pray this... God will enable you, well, God will forgive you for your lack of forgiveness, and God will enable you to forgive others. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced the battle that is raging within your heart when when somebody treats you poorly? And you take up offense and and maybe even come to the point of, of, of taking up a root of bitterness against them? And before you know it, that word of bitterness spreads. God, its hooks into you. And it spreads even, not just in your own heart, but it spreads in a body. And I've seen this happen. It's ugly. But you wage war against the unforgiveness in your heart by the grace of God. Preach the gospel to yourself. Pray the gospel to yourself. And God will enable you to forgive. And, and those hooks will be disentangled. In the life of a true believer, those who ask for God's forgiveness will be ready to forgive others. This command to forgive others is throughout the scriptures. Ephesians 4:32: Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3:13: Bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive forgive and again this is corporate this is communal we ask for our sins to be forgiven we intercede for others asking for them to be forgiven by God even we ask that the sins that they have committed against us will be forgiven by God this is how Jesus prayed from the cross Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23, 34. This is how Stephen prayed as he was being stoned to death, falling to his knees. He cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Acts seven, sixty. And those were the last words that Stephen spoke in his life. And so when you forgive someone, you are releasing them from the debt of sins that they that you that they have incurred against you you're, you're no longer holding their sin against them you are refusing the right to be angry about it you're refusing the right to talk about it you're refusing the right to think about it so, you, so you're letting go of, of the, the rights that you that you might have in a, in a a legal court a court of law it also means you to love them you're to seek God's best for them. Now you and I know that that sinners tend to respond sinfully when sinned against. We all know that it can be really hard to forgive, but again, God is commanding you to forgive. God is commanding you to forgive that person who is in your mind even at this very moment. person over and over again. It might mean you're forgiving them 77 times or 7 times 70 times because they keep on sinning against you. But it also might mean that you have to forgive them again not because they have sinned against you again but because you've taken up offense against them again. Now there are times that that I have forgiven someone and then I have unforgiven them. Then I have to forgive them again. For the same sin. It just shows how much I need to pray this. You cannot forgive apart from God's supernatural work in your heart. But if God does, has done a supernatural work in your heart in regeneration, He will also do a supernatural work in your heart in sanctification. He will enable you to forgive that person who has wronged you. Again, you forgive out of the riches of forgiveness that you have received. In Christ. So you've al- if you've already forgiven someone, what do you what do you do if that if that sin comes back to mind again? If you're tempted to to pick up unforgiveness again, pray this petition. Pray to God for forgiveness for your unforgiveness, then ask God to help you. Ask God to help you to forgive. That's part of this petition. And maybe this, the person who sinned against you hasn't even repented. Ask God to forgive them too. Brothers and sisters, praying like this will cultivate intimacy with God. And it will help you to cultivate intimacy with your brothers and sisters. Even those who have sinned against you. So finally, and more briefly the last petition our protection our protection so Jesus teaches here in his final petition and lead us not into temptation again notice the conjunction and lead us not into temptation this is linked with your prayer for daily bread your prayer for daily forgiveness you need daily protection. Now, we, we know here that, that God doesn't tempt anyone. So why do we need to pray that God would not lead us into temptation? Probably thinking of James 1.13. Let's turn there for a moment. James 1.13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So the word that's translated here, temptation, in, in Luke chapter 11, verse 4, and, and also in Matthew 6, 13, in, this, in the Sermon on the Mount, and the same word that is translated, tempts here in James one thirteen are forms of the same word, the same Greek word. And the word is sometimes translated temptations and sometimes it is translated trial even in the same passage. I just quoted uh, James one thirteen Verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown kind of life which God has promised to those who love him. So here it's trial, but it's the very same word that's translated temptation in verse 13. James 1, 2, and 3 is the same. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Friends, God does not tempt his children, but he does test them. God tests them. Remember our studies in Genesis. Genesis. God tempted, or God rather tested Abraham severely. In Genesis 22, when God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac as a burnt offering. Genesis 22:1 1 says clearly, God tested Abraham. But in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, the verb form of the word that's translated here as temptation is used. It's the same word that can be translated tempting, or testing. So the question here in Genesis 22 is, is would Abraham be obedient? Well, of course. For the omniscient God, the result was never in doubt. God knew that Abraham would obey, and God knew that he would stop Abraham as Abraham raised the knife. God was testing Abraham to prove him not to prove Abraham to God, but to prove Abraham and his faith to Abraham and to us. God was revealing what was genuine to refine Abraham as gold is refined in the fire. So so, so this was was Abraham's refinement, his sanctification. So this leads me to another question you might be asking. If trials are good, why should we be praying to avoid them? Again, it largely comes down to understanding, the, having the correct understanding of the word. Again, the word here is, is not best understood as temptation, but as trial or as hard testing. And testing does come from God, as we've just seen. So this petition speaks not, not merely of, of temptation, but of temptation which results in Sin. So then this petition is, is not so much as a as an escape for trials, but for the ability to be victorious when those trials come. So to summarize that, this, this word temptation is best understood as testing or trial. Tests and trials can be good, and they come from God. But when we pray like this, we are praying ultimately to avoid sin more than we are praying to avoid the trial itself. So So Jesus is saying here that we should we should pray that the Father will never cause us to go undergo a severe test of our faith or of our obedience. God will not entice you to sin. However, He will test you. And when you pray this petition, you're praying that the test will not become an occasion for you to sin. This is the prayer of the Christian who submitted to God's providential will, trusting in God as Heavenly Father for protection protection and deliver it. Like that great spiritual by Mahalia Jackson. Lord, don't move that mountain. Give me the strength to climb. Lord, don't move my stumbling blocks, but lead me all around. This is the prayer for spiritual strength in the trials of life. This is a a prayer for spiritual direction through through a, a path that is set with traps and snares. We are tempted by three powerful enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. You live in one. One lives in you. And the other lives to destroy you. And you need to know your weaknesses. Because these three tempters will work together against you. Against you living out for the the hallowing of God's name and for the advance of his kingdom. So, so know your heart. Know in what ways you personally are likely to be tempted. Anger, lust, fear, pride, rebellion, greed, laziness, apathy, selfishness, drunkenness, unforgiveness, depression, guilt, greed, self-consciousness. Self-confidence, rather. Now it, it, it may be several of these or even a host of others. But you need to know where you personally are going to be tempted. Tested so that this this thing will will not become an occasion for you to sin against God. But again, this prayer is not just personal. It's corporate. It's lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Temptation so you're really praying for your brothers and your sisters as well. But you can't pray for them unless you know their struggles. Unless you take the time to figure out and to find out what others are dealing with. And in the local church, it means reaching out to them. Now, our current circumstances prevent several specific areas of temptation. I listened to several of them earlier. COVID-19. Fear of government response to COVID-19. Rebellion. Against the authorities that God has put in place. Blind acquiescence to those authorities that, that crosses the line into sin against God. Judgment and insensitivity against those who don't see things the same as you. Or even more, are not tempted in the same way as you. Brothers and sisters, these are difficult times, and you need to pray for God's protection with these things in mind for yourself and for your brothers and sisters in Christ. As you reflect on your life, you could probably see a pattern emerging of the areas where you are most likely To be tempted and tested. It's very likely to be the way that you have fallen before, maybe repeatedly. And so in the morning, when you pray, think about what this day is going to hold. And pray this prayer. Pray for for protection. When you're there kneeling beside your bed in the morning. Pray specifically about the areas that that you and and your brothers and sisters are likely to be tempted. And memorize Bible passages. That, that deal with that particular sin. And pray them to the Lord and, and preach them to your own heart and, and to your brothers and sisters. And avoid those areas where you are likely to be tempted. And throughout the day, as, as temptations arise or as you enter new situations, pray right then and there. Pray on that on the spot. Lord, protect me. The, the prayer could be just as simple as, as, help me, Jesus. And flee to Christ. When Christ was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, he was not tempted to be refined. He was a sinless Son of God. He was already perfect. He was tempted for us. He was tempted for you and me. And Jesus overcame temptation for us, for you and me. But Christ's greatest moment of temptation came in anticipation of the crucifixion. In the face of the suffering that lay before him, going from, from the, going a little further, God of the Gethsemane, he said, he fell on his face, praying, "Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will." And Christ, praise God, passed the test. The cup did not pass. He obeyed his heavenly Father by drinking the cup of God's wrath down to the dregs. He gave up his life. Now we think of Abraham. How God tested Abraham by commanding him to sacrifice his son. But God stopped Abraham at the last minute. God provided the ram in the thicket. But when it came to God's own son, God did not hold back the knife. He plunged the knife of His holy wrath into the heart of His Son. For every time you faced temptation and embraced temptation, instead of embracing Him, embracing Him. Flee to Christ. Pray to avoid temptation for yourself, and, your brothers and sisters, and pray for deliverance. Flee to Christ in prayer when you are tempted. Flee to Christ in prayer when you fall. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Hebrews 4, 15, and 16. Once again, notice how praying like this fosters intimacy with God your Father. Once again, notice how praying like this is indeed a prayer to hallow God's name and to advance His kingdom. It's a prayer that you and others will live for God and His glory and for the advance of His kingdom. So our priority in prayer is to seek to hallow God's name and seek to advance His kingdom. As J.C. Ryle declares, blessed indeed are those Christians who have learned that God's name is far more honorable than any that of any earthly potentate. God's kingdom, the only kingdom, is the only kingdom that shall stand forever. And God's law, the rule, which all laws ought to be conform. The more these things are understood and believed in a land, the happier will that land be. The days when all acknowledge these things will be as the days of heaven upon earth. When we pray these petitions for our bread, our forgiveness, and our protection, committing to some of our earthly and our heavenly existence, and that of our brothers and sisters to our Father, we grow in intimacy with God and intimacy with each other. And so adopt this prayer as part of your daily practice. Pray as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Begin to incorporate other passages of scripture into your daily prayers and and frame your prayers around them. God does not accept you or reject you on the basis of your less than perfect prayers. You're not saved through perfect prayers, but through faith in the perfect Son. And one of the glories of the gospel is that Christ's perfect record of obedience, including his perfect prayer life, is credited to your account. Christ Jesus arose early to pray. He often prayed through the night. He prayed without ceasing. And all of his prayers were motivated by love for God and seeking his glory. And through, the, through faith, through Jesus Christ, that perfect record of prayer is imputed to you. And Jesus didn't stop praying when he ascended to the Father. He continually prays for you. He's continuing to intercede for you. So is the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26 and 27 and 34. And so pray with confidence that God accepts your prayers on behalf of Christ. Pray with confidence that you're praying according to God's will because you're praying according to God's word. Pray. Father, what a great and glorious privilege we have to pray and to know that you hear us as sons and daughters because of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be a praying people. Help us to pray according to your will. Help us to pray according to your word. Lord, help us not to pray selfishly, but to pray with the ultimate goal of exalting your holy name and seeking the advance of your kingdom in our own hearts, in the hearts of our brothers and sisters in our church family and our brothers and sisters around the world. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your people hallow your name. We pray this in Jesus' name.